Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 254. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pastorcelli. Jay, all right, we had employment. We had, and how are you? You can tell me that in a second, but let me set this up for you. We had employment and like it was bad news because it got revised down, but then the most recent one really beat the expectations. So that's kind of good news. And the market liked that. And then ISM came out and we'll talk about ISM, but then the market really liked that. I don't know. It didn't like the employment, but then it really liked the ISM. Like, I don't know, Jay, is good news, bad news still, or bad news is good news. I don't even know. Uh, look, I mean, so I'm doing fine, Derek. Thanks for asking. Yes, uh, yeah, the, the, mar- I look, I mean, the market's got a little sad face the first week of the year here. Uh, I mean, it's something we talked about. That was a possibility that the market might go down. But the one thing that I, I noticed, Derek, so throughout the, uh, the up and then the retracement and then the bounce, like the, the, the market's still, still a little skittish right now. Uh, considering the low volatility that it has. By skittish, I mean it can't seem to make up its direction throughout the day, right? This kind of you know intraday reversals are happening multiple times. Today, for example, there's a trend up, like you said, then once down, then reverse, then once another time down, then a reverse up. So this is really, I, you know, I think the market's really trying to make up its mind. It feels, to quote somebody on our team, it feels a little heavy right now. Uh, which, uh, but we're not really seeing that in the options market either. So, you know, I think the market's just trying to figure out its way. I think you get this start of year churn going on here. I know we'll talk about January a little later, but, you know, hard to interpret what's going on, I, except for the fact that everybody was waiting to sell till the calendar year changed over. And that's probably a little bit of what's happening right now. Right. Because if you have gains, you're like, oh, I'll sell in January instead of December. And then instead of having to deal with those gains, if it's a taxable account in April or whenever they do their taxes, I guess you could file an extension. Uh, but, you know, of course, we don't give tax advice. But now, you know, if you sell it January 2nd, you don't have to deal with that until April of 25. So I think that's part of it. But Jay, also, you know, we we talked a couple episodes ago about the the net long, what was that? The hedge fund managers or uh, uh, you know actively managed funds managers, they were net long like 103. percent I guess some of this could be where's the marginal buyer coming from? Meaning, who else? You know, if every all the active managers are long equities, like you need more people, you need more buyers and sellers. I'm sorry, there I said it, Jay. Oh, is that how the market goes up? More buyers than sellers. Yes, gotcha. It, more buyers than sellers. Then it goes up if more sellers than buyers. Yeah, good. It goes down. Yep, that's right. That's right. So I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I feel like, by the way, you look at the numbers for November, you look at the numbers for December, the markets have been on fire. I mean, markets don't go up every week. So like, it's okay. Like, take a deep breath. It's, it's uh, you know, this is perfectly normal. And it wasn't crazy. It wasn't crazy at all. But I, I just thought when you look at employment, so just we went a little quick there. The number today beat the estimate for, for new jobs or, or payrolls added, right? But they also said that the past 11 months were revised downward, meaning whatever was reported in those corresponding months Months later, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to revise it. 
and it wasn't as good as we thought. All of the job numbers, the the new jobs created in each of those months, the numbers were revised down. So like the market's kind of like, wait a second, we just blew out the jobs number. So that means the Fed's not going to lower rates or they're going to raise rates. And, and then ISM comes out. So ISM, by the way, is for anybody who doesn't follow it, today was the ISM non-manufacturing uh, index. And uh, I think, well, it, that's what it used to be called. It's now uh, the services PMI, Purchasing Managers, Managers Index is what PMI stands for. And it basically looks at service companies in the U.S. And according to the ISM site, they survey more than 400 purchasing and supply managers in non-manufacturing services firms. I don't know the survey response rate. I don't know, you know, because sometimes the, the survey responses can. But Jay, what happened was, and uh, I know you read the whole report cover to cover, as I did. but. It come, basically, they come out and they say, they look at, okay, what's business activity? What's supplier deliveries, uh, inventories, prices, backlog of orders? They have all these things that they ask on the survey. And this one item, the employment one, and, and the way this works is any of these are above 50, it's generally growing. Below 50, it's, it's, uh, it's declining. Jay, unemployment today came out at 43.3% or employment on the survey. So this is bearish and it's the first time, you know, the trend is now one month. And what that says is the direction is contracting from growing. So that comes out and we saw bonds shoot up because interest rates went down. This is what, this happened within an hour. Like the market couldn't decide what it wanted or what direction it wanted to go. So that's what PMI is. And I don't know, Jay, any thoughts on this? Yeah. So, I mean, normally this is not a big mover. It's normally we don't really plan for it. I mean, it's a footnote in our investment committee meeting discussion, right? It's a moderate market mover. Today, though, it had a little bit of a different reaction. And I think the idea here is bad news is good news, right? That's the way you would interpret that, the way that the market reacted, where it's like, oh, the Fed may have to cut sooner because maybe the economy is not going to be as strong we like the Fed cutting, so we're going to buy the market. It's kind of a weird dynamic there, which, of course, ended up reversing itself within, you know, another hour and a half. So, you know, Derek, I, I would say it's a, it's a blip. Uh, I'm surprised that we even spent as much time, but I appreciate the education for everybody on it. It's not one I'm going to, you know, we're not going to plan for the next month when this comes around. All right, I'll delete the uh, the multi-page full report. I'm not going to send that to you. I just think it's it's kind of funny because it, for, throwing away you know the definitions and all that junk about these, it's like okay, we want bad news because if there's bad news, the Fed will lower. It's like okay, if we get enough bad news, we'll get a recession. Then they'll have to lower. And it's like, but wait a second, in a recession, doesn't that affect stocks? I mean, it's just just everyone go watch a game show. That's my new my new saying. It's, you know, all this stuff is really noise. And by the way, uh, I saw a, a chart. Uh, who is this by? This is from Bloomberg and T.S. Lombard. And a little bit of a contrarian indicator. You know, Jay, we've been really bullish lately. 
And I don't say like bullish, we, we're telling people to buy, but we've been highlighting some of the good things that have been going on the last couple of I feel like this is going to be a bearish show. We're going to highlight some bearish oh, things. Oh, okay. So this is you contrarian. Got a lot of bearish data? I, I think I got some stuff. So uh, contrarian data, Bloomberg articles mentioning soft landing, and they're showing us a, a chart here. And what is this? Percent of monthly total. So this is like, what, 60%? of articles are mentioning a soft landing, according to this data on Bloomberg. And what's interesting about uh, the past two times when it's approached 40% or even gotten above really 20%, there's been a recession, although one of the times it didn't. Uh, it was like, I guess, before 2008. Uh, go figure on this one. It was close to 80% were mentioning soft landing. So I don't know, like... It, you know, last year, what, 29 of 30 economists said a recession this year, it's different. Maybe this is saying, well, you're mentioning soft landing so much, it's contrarian and we'll probably have a recession. But what do I know? I mean, you're going to eventually have one, Derek, right? I can guarantee but, that, yes. Yeah, at some point we will have a recession. And the question is, is it in three months or is it in, you know, 18 months? Or is it in, I don't know, 60 months? Um, you could go a long time between recessions, right? Like between the uh, you know the '08 and the and the and the the pandemic, that's a pretty long time, right? And that one lasted, you know, really, really for a short period of time. And some would say that you know, if it wasn't for the pandemic, the recession wouldn't have happened. All that kind of stuff. So, you know, Derek, I, I, you know, yes, eventually we'll have one. To me, I go again, like. What's what's the impact to my investing philosophy, right? Like recession is is it a recession or not a recession? What we're investing either way, you know. Like I know this is like broken record, but you know it's it's like a magnet that everybody comes back to the discussion about the recession. The market's going to be ahead of it most likely. The market will sniff it out and sniff it out first. And right now, uh, you know, the market isn't sniffing anything out when it comes to the price action on the on equities. So. You know, I don't know. I mean, I know you've got very contradictory data points with what the bond market is predicting and the way the stock market is acting right now. But, you know, I'm not I'm not convinced because of the talking points. Now, look, you have always brought up the, uh, uh, you know, when the local news starts talking about, you know, how bad the Dow is and they put it, you know, in the bottom corner of, uh, of a cooking segment. Right. I, you have a better analogy than I it's do. It's the cupcake but, index. Yeah. The cupcake index. Thank yeah. you. And I would say I didn't. I knew it was cooking somewhere. There's yeah. food involved no, somewhere right. in your index. Yo, you got it. I don't know. Uh, look, I'm, I mean, I don't want to be whistling past the graveyard. We're gonna have a recession at some point. I don't know when it's gonna come. So what do we do instead? I stay long and I hedge. Right. I mean, that's kind of our general process. We're not trying to time the market. We invest in the markets that generally go up. Last time we talked a lot about the fact that the markets are up over 15% over half the time. So yeah, we stick with that. And we hedge just in case when the recession comes, which eventually it will, it hits the markets early. All right. I'm going to go more bad news or more interesting news that could be, can, yeah, let's, let's go all negative today. And by the way, as you said, this I mean, you like, could go negative. That's we're, fine. We're not gonna go do negative. Any, I mean, we're not going to do anything based upon this. Like last week, we were pointing out markets go up most years, you said. Uh, but here's something we mentioned this and, you know, I follow the container, uh, the prices of container shipping. 
the price for a 40-foot container this week, according to who, who gave me this chart. Uh, it's probably on Bloomberg, too. But Drury's World Container Index increased by 61% to $2,670 per 40-foot container this week. And, you know, this we talked a little bit about it. Uh, in prior weeks, uh, I've also got data. If you break, you know, Shanghai to Rotterdam, Shanghai to uh, Genoa. I, that's I think how you say that, right? Or Genoa? Yeah. Okay. No, Genoa. Cl- the right, salami. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. So those container ships, especially those two I just mentioned, I believe have to go through the Red Sea and the uh, the Suez Canal, which uh, right now the ships, many of them, are having to go the long way, about 40% longer down the southern tip of Africa. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see if this is a, like during the pandemic, it was pretty clear. You you sent out boatloads of money. People bought stuff on Amazon. It had to be delivered and shipped from China. And of course, you're going to have a supply shock. You're going to have too much stuff, not enough boats and all that stuff. But this is, if you want to, you know, be a little down, you could say, well, wait a second, doesn't this put inflationary pressure on certain areas? So it's just something to watch. I don't, you know, I don't know when this all gets resolved. I mean, it's, you can listen to other news sources for that, but um, that's significant. Now, these prices yeah, are nowhere and, near and- what they were during, you know, the, the bad stuff. I'm not going to say the C word. Yeah, but we get, we get uh, you get labels. Okay, you can use the P word. The P word is okay. Pandemic, but I, I, yeah. Right? You tell me that one's okay. Pandemic. Um, pandemic. Look, yes. pandemic. That. Yes. That. <laughs> thank you. the The thing here, when I when I look at this data, is it continues to reinforce a message that the Fed has said. Right? The Fed has said, "Don't have any plans to lower rates in the near term." They've also said the biggest mistake that the Volcker uh, uh, the Volcker period made was lowering rates too early and kind of having, you know, letting inflation back in. This is just another point that says, you know, hey, we don't know the things that are going to help kind of creep back in when it comes to inflation just yet. I don't think the Fed, I don't think the Fed's going to raise anytime soon, but it goes to the discussion we had last week of when they cut, it's probably going to be a while. And I think this goes to support their reason for leaving rates right where they are for longer, which they've said, um, when you get a data point like this, like, I'm okay with that. And so, I mean, I don't know, Derek, I don't consider this necessary, necessarily a bearish point in and of itself. Could it be inflationary? Yes. Does it mean the Fed will keep rates where it is? Yeah. Which maybe then the market got ahead of itself too much and thought, oh, we're going to, you know, they're going to lower rates in March. I don't think the Fed's going to lower rates in March. I would say there's very little chance of that. So things like this keep rates higher. And what did the market do today when rates were higher? Eh, they were up, they're down. Yeah, okay. I just, I think it might slow down equity appreciation, but I'm not throwing in the bear market. Uh, I'm not throwing this in the bear ring uh, just yet, right? I, this is a, a data point that keeps the Fed stable and and where they are. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that's right. And by the way, I, I happen to look AP Muller Maersk, uh, which is a, a company in Denmark, biggest container shipping, shipping company. company. Yeah, I mean, so their stock. Uh, let's see, 
in November 7th, it was $699 US dollars. And today it is 1033. So it's actually, I, I sh- I'm not going to say spike, but it's like, it's, it's gone up recently because they have some pricing power now. I guess the only thing is though, that, you know, they have pricing power, but one of the things you have to realize with shipping containers is, is if uh, it takes longer to do the journey, think about that. If it, if it took you 10 days, I'm making this up. If it took you 10 days to go from one port to another, uh, you, you got to unload, you got to load, then in 10 days back, it's a 20 day round trip. But now if it takes you 40% longer, it's 14 days. Okay. You got to unload all that stuff. And then 14, now it's 28 days. So that's part of it too. You're taking supply out of there. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm going to stop talking about shipping containers. If you want to read about the history of shipping containers, by the way, Jay, there is a great book by Mark Levinson called The Box. It's actually a fantastic book. But that's it, Jay. I'm done with shipping containers. Unless you, unless you want to talk more about it. I think it's on the rise. I think, look, I mean, the driver of, of uh, the dip in the market this week, I, I feel was, you know, uh, warships potentially having a conflict and uh, impacting shipping. Okay, I think this will pass relatively soon. So good to watch, Derek. Uh, you see the impact here. I think this will probably resolve itself unless, the, you know, conflict escalates, which I don't think anybody feels is really going to happen here. But uh, it's not just us. It's not just the U.S., right? So, yeah, follow your news on international conflict if you want to know more about the shipping containers. And that, you know, has been, the, the I think, the catalyst for the drop in the market. By the way, before I move to our next point, I will point out the Fed has a global supply chain pressure index. And the way they measure it is standard deviations from average. It got almost to four and a half standard deviations in January of 22. Uh, in uh, I don't have, you know, the scaling on this isn't great, but I'll call it July of 23, June of 23. It was below the zero line by almost two or one and a half standard deviations. It's kind of at the zero line right now, not including January data, but uh, this is something that I watch and nobody else probably watches it but me, but that's okay. So let me move on then, Jay. I'm going to go to, I won't make even comment on it. I'm going I'm to just keep going on. The January barometer. So B of A Global Research and Bloomberg uh, looks like they put out something. January is a reasonable barometer or predictor of the year. And the reason is, if they look at S&P data going back to 1928, when January is up, the year is up 80% of the time with an average return of 13.2%. And uh, let's see, let me just look at the numbers here. When January is down, uh, number of years, it's positive is only 17. So 47 out of 59, when January is up, you have positive years. Only 17 out of 37. Uh, positive years when, when January is down. And, you know, the returns, so if January is down, the average annual return is zero point, uh, negative 0.72%. I just said when it's up, it's 13.23, overall 7.85. So, all right, I mean, go January, right? And then there's also some data about, you know, the first five days as a barometer. And if the first five days of January negative, um, average one point one percent and first five, five days of January positive plus an average 11.22 percent go January get your jersey on Jay yeah all right so look I'm I, I we've done multiple studies in the past here of um, 
you know, what happens per month after the first month and those kinds of things. So I always like to look at, great, January happens. What happens after January? Don't include January in this data. And so one of the data points within this is what happens the average February to December return. So this is interesting, right? So if January's up, um, the average return from February to December is 8.7%. But if, if January's down, the average return from February to December is still a positive 3%. Um, the chance of an, up, uh, of, a, of, a, of an up February to December is 60%, even if January is down. So like, look, yes, go January, but like, okay, if January, like, it's nicer, your chance, you know, it's better chances that you finish you know, the the 11 following months after January, that's great. But, you know, generally still the market's up, Derek. Like, I don't know, you're trying to bring me down. You try to throw a bearish at me. I go, history tells me it's still bullish after that. And even in this first five days, right, the first five days, if the first five days are negative, right, uh, forget about the rest of January does, the chance of the market being up from February to December is still over 50%. It's 56%. So you still have a better than 50-50 shot of having positive returns for the rest of the year. So yes, go January. But you know, just because January is bad, I can think of years that we've traded where January was bad, and we finished out just fine the rest of the year. I think probably 2016 is one of those, Derek. Do you remember yeah. 2016, January? Oh. First three weeks of January are the worst three weeks of the start of any year. Was it, minus, finished was it minus nine for January? I forget. Uh, I believe, yeah, it was uh, It was like a Dow number, right? Oh, we're, yeah. You know, we're Dow. I mean, we don't follow Dow. But the point is, finished out great that year, right? Finished strong, 2016. So, okay, it's good to track January. We watch it. Don't let it, you know, depress you for the rest of the year. I'm glad you picked up on that. And I think the other part is they use averages, and for anyone who's listening, here's a little, little public service announcement. When you use averages, let's say you have a room full of 10 people and one of the people is worth a million dollars and everyone else is only worth a dollar. Well, the average wealth in that room is 100,000, but that's clearly not indicative of, of the situation. Median would throw out sort of the outliers. So I could see, you know, we'd have to look, but to your point about 2016, you know, if you have outlier years, those are going to be in the averages. And so, you know, if you take out the outliers, like what if January is just down 1%? Like, what does that mean for the rest of the year? So, yeah, I don't know. Remember the Super Bowl one too, Jay? Wasn't that when the NFC won? I don't even know if that means anything anymore. NFC team oh, wins. Oh, no, it. no, that's, yeah, well, there's something there, right? Yeah, whoever, the, the NFC versus AFC winning the Super Bowl. There's a, uh, we should look that predictor up. We're not Super Bowl yet. Although, probably the Giants aren't going to make the Super Bowl this year, Derek. You think that's that's probably accurate? That's a good prediction. Well, they have been eliminated from the playoffs, I believe. So See? I wasn't so wrong about that. Is it? It's, it's not <laughs> like you know the Pro Bowl where if thirty-seven other players pass, they're like, hey, you know, Jim McGinsky, you know, you're you're in, you're in a quarterback for uh, no, it doesn't uh, happen. McGinsky, yeah, kind of like Florida State playing Georgia and. <laughs> <laughs> the players showed up for Florida State. Yeah, in the in the Orange Bowl. I'm surprised Sorry, they didn't uh, contact your son to maybe transfer and, and suit up. You know, I mean, I, I know he, he, he didn't he play did football. Go to the game, but, but they, he, he he did go. He was fairly disappointed at the blowout. 
That's rough. It you could have a game. So was, I was going to say at the Orange Bowl. That's old school. It was at Dolphin Stadium. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the Hard Rock. Okay. But yes. Yeah. All right. So, all right, I want to talk about volatility and I want to talk about just, but not yet. I want to talk, I, I want to get to, uh, we got to talk about members of Congress and their trading. But I yeah, remind me, Jay, we need to talk about premium and volatility selling and a lot of stuff like that. So if, uh, oh, that's, okay. what you, if that's what you're looking for, like that's, that that's coming. That's a little tease, you know? Yeah. So Ooh. I don't know wow. if you knew this, but there are some pretty prodigious uh, traders in Congress. And Really? Uh, yeah. So Unusual Whales put out a they, – they basically – it looks like they took all the – so members of Congress are supposed to are required to disclose their positions or their trades. I don't know what you know how long after they have to disclose them. You know whatever. So um, the you know we know the S and P was up twenty four point eight. I think that's a total return number they're using. It doesn't say that though. And uh, Brian Higgins made two hundred and thirty eight point nine percent. He is a Democrat. Uh, I'd have to look up and see where he. It doesn't matter the party affiliation, but I'll just tell you. I wonder who's better, Democrats or Republicans. Mark Green, a Republican, plus 122. Garrett Graves, a, a Republican, 107. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, plus 65.5%. So I'm not going to read all these. I'll put a link to it in, in the show notes. But like, there's quite a lot of people who beat the market. Like, you know, I don't know, you know. Like, did Brian Higgins have a small position and, you know, he, he bought options on tech stocks? I don't know, but uh, I guess we could look, but I didn't look. I don't know, Jay, this is interesting or maybe not interesting. I mean, no, well, here's the thing that's interesting in this list here. And again, I, I don't know, like you said, there's a lot of information here that, that we don't know. All we're seeing here is apparently the returns uh, the estimated returns uh, uh, for the stocks held in each member's portfolio against the market. And when you look at this list, it's like it's very it's 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 an uncommon distribution. How many on this list beat the S&P? Now, Derek, I don't know if there's, you know, another 500 below this that that did not beat the S&P. Right. It's a little. I, I can't tell if this is skewed, right? This can't be all of the uh, uh, members of Congress that had investments, right, in 2023. But there certainly are a lot that tr that made, you know, two times the market, three times the market, you know. So I bet you, you know, again, I don't know everybody well, this, on this. So well, I'll tell you, 535 is, is the total number of Congress, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. So you're right. We're not seeing everybody for... Breath. We don't see everybody yeah. else here, right? Yeah. I'm just looking. It lists about 30 that beat the market, right? But some beat it by a lot, right? Brian Higgins making 240% compared to an S&P that made 24, 25%. It seems like a lot. But you don't know. Like what they were concentrated in, like you said, you don't know any more details. And it maybe it wasn't even a large uh, uh, investment. But, you know... It's it's I don't know if this is a chart crime or not. It's selective data reporting, but um, you know, like Mitch McConnell didn't beat the market. That's that's you know eighteen made eighteen percent versus twenty four uh, uh, percent. 
So I don't know. I know Nancy Pelosi was under some scrutiny for her investing in the past, right? So for her to make 65% against an S&P that made 25. Well, she she traded options too. So one of the things they do is uh, uh, this, I don't think it's an all-encompassing list, but they went and they showed uh, some some options. And let's see, Nancy Pelosi had $5 million disclosed value uh, NVIDIA, a call, call options on NVIDIA. Oh, probably, hopefully that worked out. Must have. She, she mean, was up for the year. There's a good chance they did. Yes. You bought them at the high right before earnings, and then you get smoked on time decay. But maybe I digress. Tommy Tuberville, he's a Republican senator from uh, Alabama, right? Yeah, because he was at Auburn. Uh, so he he has some uh, some call and some put trading in here, and they list the stocks. He also trades commodities. Like he trades in the softs. So he's doing corn. Uh, I think he's done cattle. And then we have, uh, let's see, Ro Khanna, Democrat from California. And we'll talk about him in a second. But he, he did 68 trades worth Two point nine. He sold sixty sixty six trades of sold options worth two point nine million, and purchased thirty eight in trades of two million. But Jay, the interesting thing with him is they have this chart: trading activity of Congress. He made four thousand two hundred and fifty three trades, and last year he traded over six thousand times. Rock on, Rokana, trading options. Probably, I don't know. Wow, like, his broker loves him, especially if he's doing option <laughs> trades. What's interesting, let's wrote wrote, do they list how he did? Yeah. So he underperformed the market though with all that trading. Uh he he returned 12.7% versus the SP 24.8. Uh Michael McCall, a Republican, 1800 times, Josh Gottheimer, 578 times, Tommy Tuberville, 389. So that's kind of, and then everybody else is sort of all clustered together. He can't. You can't really tell, but yeah, yeah. So, like, did you say he traded four thousand times? That's what this says. Yeah, I mean, that's what 15, 20 times a day. That's pretty. That's pretty active stuff. I mean, I and he's trading how much options. Legislation he's getting done. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, at some point, uh, I'm sure members of Congress will ban investing for you know conflict of interest, but they'll get around to it. Oh, right. Well, they, ha- they have yeah, to pitch the bill themselves, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Look, here, here's, It'll be the people that are on the bottom of that list that would pass it, right? So. Yeah. Now, in, in defense of some, and I can't see all the numbers. Again, I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes. We're, we're kind of done with the segment. But, you know, if somebody has, instead of buying index funds, let's say you had a manager who's doing individual stocks and, you know, and, and if there's rebalancing and you have a couple hundred positions, if you rebalance a few times, I mean, that, those trades could add up, even though they might not be materially, you know, that important. So anyway, just some some interesting fodder there. But all right. So, Jay, we've been talking about the VIX for a while, and we, we've been talking about how that's really not moved. Today, it moved. And so it's been in the upper 80s for a while. And of course, the VIX measures the implied volatility of the options on the VIX futures. Remember, you can trade options on the VIX index, trade them on the, the VIX futures, and we'll give a public service announcement. You know, there's there's a lot of things you, you would want to do before you trade VIX options. 
But Jay, it, it crept down to, you know, 82, 87 today. Any thoughts about, you know, like it, it, it almost seems like people are not, it's, it's, it's getting less expensive to purchase or bring in premium on VIX options. Uh, yeah. So look, the thing, here's why this matters to us, right? Um, so this tells us that the expected move in volatility is coming down. So that means the volatility of volatility, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the forward looking expectation is that things are going to be less volatile, which is kind of hard to believe with the VIX already at 13, which is fairly low in its range. We've talked a lot about the market maintaining, uh, kind of entering a new lower volatility regime, right? We talk about there's these things going like years cycles and we think we're probably entering, I mean, that's not very committed by me, but I, it, the, all, everything indicates that, um, once we got through the, the nonsense in October, the November, December, now into January, by the way, even though the market was down today, so was the VIX, right? So, uh, I actually finished slightly up today, but my point is, this is like, we still see a contracting volatility. We still see premiums coming in, uh, which means expected moves, uh, you know, according to the options market, look a little muted. Um, so specifically, so why does this matter? Like, what do I glean from this when it comes to my investing, when I'm like VIX of 13 or a VIX of 80, what's that really mean to me? And um, it means right now there's not a lot of speculation in the market either way, up or down. Uh, and uh, it could be more of the same for a while. Um, the VIX looks out, kind of does a, a weighted average over the next 30 days of S&P option premiums. And so, you know, over the next 30 days, what's going to happen in the next 30 days, Derek, right? We're going to start to have some earnings, right? Uh, when did we say... Um, Earnings next, season usually kicks off with the financials. Friday, the banks? Is it next Friday? I, I could be wrong on that. I, it's, I think you're right. I think it's next Friday. Uh, uh, and then we start to get some of the big tech names in early, uh, late January, early February. But the market doesn't seem to have a lot. There's a Fed meeting, though, Derek. Uh, the oh, there's end one of, of those, January. huh? Huh, how about that? Yeah, there's one of those things. So I think you know, you, you we could see a little. I think we'll start to see volat the the VIX calculation, the VIX index start to have to wait more and more. The higher volatility that's implied in that last week of January, first week of February. But until then, it's you know the the options market is telling us that things are going to be muted for a while. You know, again, small moves, half percent day, half a percent move a day. You know, those kinds of things is what, you know, maybe a three-quarter percent move, despite what happens intraday. Like today, the market moved almost 1% peak to trough, but, uh, you know, that's not where it finished, right? It finished at 0.2% change. Those kinds of things can happen intraday. I've, I think I said before, the market was a little skittish. It can't really determine which way it's going to go. There's probably a little more of that. So what just with the options market, if that was your only thing with that lens, with just the option lens... It's telling us that things are going to be have muted moves for a little while, um, and and we shouldn't, you know, nothing. Of course, as I say this, I'm sure something will happen on Monday or Tuesday. But uh, this is what the option market is kind of predicting: slow moves again, uh, no real decision. Can you kind of creep upwards? Absolutely, just like we did in December. That seems to be where the you know 
the bias usually lies when the VIX is on the lower end of the scale, like it is today with a 13 handle. I would, you know, I know we, we don't really talk about individual stocks that much, but I, one of the things I like to do is look at, I mean, let's look at NVIDIA. So NVIDIA is a, uh, uh, chip stock. We know it's been in the news with AI. And it's a magnificent seven. It's one of the magnificent. It seven. is. It is. Like I look I look at the straddle price, meaning what's what's the at the money call price and what's the at the money put price. And that's to me is always an interesting gauge of like if you buy that, how much it has to move. And then I look at some of the like your cost of hedging. And maybe February is not the right one to use. Maybe we can go out to like you know, June's about 168 days. June's probably a better one. But if I look and, you know, 10% down from here is, you know, what is that, what is that cost? Uh, the cost of hedging on a very, very volatile stock. If I can just 11 and a half percent, right? 11 or 12%. If you want to get long puts 10, I mean, you could either go nine and a half or 10 and a half, but it's like, let's just average it to a 12% cost. If you want to buy puts, at the 440, 445 level. Yeah. And now maybe let's let's bring up the S&P, like SPY, and let's see the June expiration oh, yeah. and just kind of say, you know, what if, what if we just want to buy the SPY, you know, around 10% down put and, you know, it's 168 days, so it's less than half a year, but you got to annualize it, that type of deal. 2.3% annually to own a 10% out of the money put. So the 421s are almost exactly 10% out of the money right now. Mm-hmm. You want to own that, it's going to cost you 2.3% on an annualized basis. So just over, you know, 1.1%, right? Five bucks, 499. What a bargain. 499, you could buy the 421 puts and basically throw a protection on a 10% down on the S&P between now and June. And this is fairly inexpensive, Derek. It's no, it's, <laughs> it's very fairly in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they, and I, the reason why I bring this up and I think, you know, why I did it's one to show the, the sort of difference between a, a, a higher implied volatility stock like Nvidia and, and the S&P. And the S and P right now, and you you mentioned hedging earlier. I mean, that's one of the core things we do is buy and hedge. And the cost of hedging is very cheap right now. And one of the one of the interesting things about talking about how cheap protection is is when you think about it for an equity investor. If right now you said, well, annualized, it's would you say two point seven annualized cost of hedging? Two point three. Two point three. Two point three. Ten percent down. So you think about that. You say, well. I could buy protection. And if that's all you did, you know, about 2.3 annualized cost of hedging and you buy those puts and then you, you've got a floor there from, from the point in time right now. Like if you put money in the market right now, you could say, I'm going to design a hedge and at worst case, as long as the hedge is on, I'll lose, you know, 10% plus my cost of hedging. So, you know, 12.3%. And I know I have a floor in there. You know, that's, that's like, you know, and you and I always say, if you're worried about a 10% decline, then that, that's a different type of investor and that's fine, but that's, that's not necessarily an equity investor. So that's cheap, Jay. That really is. It's, it's, it's low. Look, everybody, it's a, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. Is the goal to beat the market when it comes to investing? 
No, that's that's not everybody's goal. Some people's goal is, hey, look, I know I need to make X percent over the next 10 years before I retire. I don't need to take excess risk to hit that number. A lot of people don't need to beat the market, right? Um, so what are ways, though, to be invested in something that has a tendency to go up? We've talked about this multiple times, right? 70% of the time, the S&P is up. Half the time, the S&P is up more than 50%. That's a pretty good investment thesis. Okay, let five was to follow that. But I don't love the volatility that comes along with an equity market, like when in 2022, when the market was down 20%, around there, 18 20%. I don't want that. I can't afford that. I can't afford to lose 18%. So you, you use the equity markets like the S&P as kind of your base because History tells you that tends to go up over time. Okay, great. So, but I don't want all of the risk that can come with that uh, come with that investment. So then you put a little money aside for protection. You know, a lot of people don't know that they're hedgers in life, right? You have car insurance, you have health insurance, you have renters or home insurance. We're Americans are forced to buy insurance. We're not forced to buy it in our investments, of course, but why not apply the same concepts? And use uh, options to limit your risk. You know, one of the things we always say, Derek, is the only thing you can really control is your risk. So if you don't need to, quote unquote, beat the market, if you want to beat the market, there's other strategies for that. Absolutely. We've got some of those. We won't even go into how some of those did last year. I'm I'm laughing because it was not awful. Pretty good. But what I would say is for those folks that wanted to limit the risk, especially the way last year started, you could stay invested. You get to play in uh, I should say invest in a in a space that tends to go up, but you could do it in a protected way. That's when options come in and reduce your risk because you could define how much you could lose over any period of time. So, you know, Derek, I I, I think I don't you know I think I know why you brought it all up, but I always go back to you know it's it's not about beating the market all the time. If there are strategies that are designed to beat the market in up years, they probably will lose more than the market in down years, right? Um, there are things like that, that, that are out there. And, and so for those of you that want that, that's great. You could do that, but the simple hedging, uh, makes it very easy to invest in the equity markets, get the benefit of history of generally the markets move up higher, but do it with, with reducing some of the risk associated with stocks. The NVIDIA one's a good example too, because of course, NVIDIA is going to be higher 10% down because the implied uh, volatility is down. The probability of NVIDIA going down 10% is much greater than the overall market going down 10%. Of course, it's a single stock and just just alone being a single stock, we put uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, we, we run concentrated, concentrated hedging uh, for people who have concentrated stock, especially people who have a low cost basis. And we kind of show some of the ways that we hedge it. But of course, a single stock on its own is going to go down more. An implied volatility stock like NVIDIA, it's been volatile, is going to cost more for the same amount of downside protection. The interesting thing with a stock like NVIDIA, you know, you could say, I mean, look, those stocks went down. Was it Meta and Facebook and or Meta and Facebook are the same? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. NVIDIA and, and I mean, some of those went down 50, 70 percent. At one point in in, uh, in 2022, of course, they've come back. But the other thing you can do is, I mean, you could define and say, okay, I'll I'll take the first X percent down, but then I want to put a floor in, and I want to keep the floor, but then, you know, don't have me lose from 10 percent to to 40 percent down. Like on these high volatility stocks, 
they're still premium really far away and you can actually spread that off. We're not giving recommendations or anything. And the last thing we do is give recommendations, you know, when, when we deal with individual, uh, you know, with advisors helping their clients or with individual clients ourselves, like you go through a process and you find out what the risk tolerance is. So we're just sort of talking out loud, but there's a lot of things you can do to manage that cost of hedging, Jay. Uh, you know, like one of my favorite things that you can do is when you're long stock is to use a collar, right? We've heard, it's it's not options 101, but maybe it's options, you know what? It's maybe the second semester class when it comes to options where you're selling calls to pay for your long put protection. And there's this wonderful thing uh, known as skew where um, you look at the difference between the calls and the put options. And actually, you could create this collar, right, which defines your downside risk, but also limits your upside risk. Where right now, Derek, I don't know if you saw this, and I don't know if you picked this on purpose when you we called that NVIDIA. But while you could buy that downside protection, we talked about being about 11%, 12%, you could sell options on the upside for that 11 12% income, but you could do it much farther away. So you could build this collar that's got a downside limit of 10 to 11% down, but you will participate up to about 18% appreciation of the stock, up to 580 So if you owned NVIDIA and you're like, look, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. I'd like to put a hedge on here and I want to pay for it. You could have a zero cost hedge where the calls fully pay for the put uh, over that June timeframe where your downside is about 10%, but your upside is about 18%. That seems like a pretty good ratio of, you know, gains versus losses opportunity. And the odds, by the way, are the same on both of those, right? The, the, The probabilities. The probability that the market goes, that the NVIDIA goes down 10% is about 30%. The probability that it goes up uh, 18% is actually 33%. So you even have a greater chance of it going up 18 versus going down 10. So you could kind of define that range. And so it goes back, look, I don't know what the what the market's going to make next year, but you know, having a 10 to 18% opportunity, that seems like a decent little slice of what I would call you know, your idiosyncratic risk, put some money aside in a single ticker, not recommending NVIDIA, like you said. I know everybody thinks AI is the hot thing. By the way, that's why the calls have so much more juice in them is because there's more upside bias in the options market. So use that to your advantage and you can have a position on that limits down to 10, but captures up to 18. It's not a bad deal. You could not do this two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. The options market because of interest rates wouldn't allow you to do this. Today, that exists. You knew exactly why I picked NVIDIA and you went right for it. So there you go. <laughs> you and I didn't even Sorry. this. No, 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 no. I, that was my intention. I wanted you to go there. So that, that's, the, that's the payoff. All right, Jay. Uh, maybe we'll talk more about, we'll definitely talk more about volatility and everything next week. Uh, any recommendations this week that... Uh, I know you had some some travel. You probably watched some stuff on the plane. I don't know anything uh, the audience should be should be looking at. Um, let's see. I uh, continue to watch. Uh, I got. I think I got three shows going right now. So watching Fargo. I mentioned that. Um, watching Reacher. We'll mention that. But the new one I started watching. I think is Bodies on Netflix. I'm three episodes in. I'm not. I'm not convinced yet. So it's okay. It's kind of a uh 
sci-fi thing that happens over four different time periods seems interesting. It hasn't, it, you know, it fell off. It didn't fall off my radar, but it's like third. So I don't know. Maybe it's not a strong recommendation, but those are, that's kind of what I'm watching right now. I'm a little late on this one because uh, it's, it's hard knocks uh, in season. So they're following the Miami Dolphins. Not that I have any affiliation or, uh, you know, rooting interest in the Dolphins. But I just find it interesting because their coach is very analytical and you wouldn't expect him to be sort of a head coach. But, you know, you sort of see behind the scenes. It's interesting. Um, so I don't know. And then the other thing I, I mentioned, Mark Levinson's The Box, like ship, shipping containers and the standardization of container sizes and all that stuff. It's actually – it it's – so important and so impactful on how global trade is. So that's that's a good book. That's that's what I got, Jay. I know you're not. All right. a, well, you look, know, I mean, you brought it up before. It's a good one. Yeah, uh, I know you're not a Dolphin fan. I know you know why you could go to the games. I think you've gone to when the Giants are there, but they are in your backyard. So listen, everybody's rooting for the home team right now. So yeah, we'll see how they do. Although they, I think they got smoked by the Ravens, didn't they? I think a little disappointing they there. Kind of did like 56. I don't know. I think the Ravens just scored another touchdown. I think they just keep scoring. <laughs> They're it's still like, scoring. Well, <laughs> 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 although I was happy the Dolphins beat Dallas. So what does that count for something? Well, uh, I'm, I mean, look, I, I was torn because the Arizona Cardinals beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And I love seeing the Eagles lose, love seeing the Cowboys lose. But come on, Cardinals, just lose. You, you went from having the two pick to now they're like, I think they're four. That kind of matters. Like, what are you doing? Like, do less. Do less, guys. So <laughs> there you go. I think do, – do you think there's a little bit there where Kyler Murray doesn't uh, – he, he, he doesn't want them to pick a quarterback replacement, so he's changing their draft pick? I mean, is that, is that something you guys are talking about in town? Well, it's called just sit sit them, you know, like just – Put me in a quarterback. Do a Russell Wilson? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It's not hard. I mean, you know, Jim Jim McGinsky, a quarterback, is a is anyway. All right, Jay, that's it. Let's wrap it up. Go uh have a good one, Derek. Happy trading to uh members of Congress. Good job. Good job, guys. See ya.